Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. You know, I guess if you weren't in here for Pastor Walgast announcements or somebody's just joining us on the live stream, um, this is our Men Encouraging Mem send-off day while we're all wearing our plaid. No, I'm not just a cool-looking youth pastor. I wore this to... first few verses of chapter 16, and we're going to be talking about a giving heart. And for the mic guys, I think my mic may be dead. Yeah, we'll use the pulpit. Well, let's eject this then. (laughs) We'll have to take up an offering for batteries. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, all right, well, I guess I'm going to be glued to the pulpit today. That's okay. Yeah, so we're talking about giving today. You won't need your Bibles. You'll just need your checkbooks, and we'll get into it here. No, just kidding. (laughs) Totally kidding. Got to have fun with this. Because as we get into the subject of giving, which Paul does address here, you know, the thing about giving when the Bible talks about it, it's, it's not so much about the offering plate as it is the heart of God's saint. And where is your heart with the Lord? And how are you serving the Lord? So, you can be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And while you're turning there, um, I can think back when I was a kid, and it'd be Christmas time. You know, we're only, you know, we're not even three months away from Christmas now. It's within the three months, so... Uh, you, some of the stores have shown you that. Like if you go to Menards right now, you know Christmas must be coming up because <laughs> it's all out there and they are already got their things going. But I remember as a kid, you know, being excited on Christmas Eve, can't wait to see what will be there in the morning under the tree to be open, what kind of gifts to enjoy. And I can remember even at least one Christmas just like staring at the Christmas tree and like falling asleep on the floor. And then like waking up, and there were the presents right there. You know, somehow they, they, they got there still, even with me on guard. And uh, just that time of, of just, you know, receiving that gift and just enjoying that. Now, to, to be fair, I still get pretty excited about Christmas these days. Um, I get excited around Christmas time. I don't fall asleep staring at the tree anymore. Um, my wife tells me Santa won't come unless I'm in bed. But, uh, but hi, hi. Uh, but my, what gives me joy has changed about Christmas. And it's not so much to see what I'm going to get, but what I love is to see the face of my kids when they open what I've given them, or, or a friend of mine, to, to see their joy and excitement on what I can give, what I can provide them. I can provide a blessing in that way. And so that, that still builds a lot of excitement around Christmas for me because we do still you know, kind of look at that as a, a special season of giving gifts in honor of the Lord and so forth. And, of course, there's other times through the year where we all participate in gifts and so forth, like birthdays. But, but again, that's what we find, isn't it, as we, as we mature with the Lord, that it's the blessing of giving that, that, that can get your heart excited. And the Bible told us that that would be true. Uh, In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Paul wrote down these words. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, 
It is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul told us we'd always find joy in giving to others, to be a blessing in that way. And now Paul, as he's working through this epistle, as he's been writing, he's been addressing a lot of concerns, a lot of questions. And I just kind of think it's somewhat comical. He just got done, like, beautifully explaining the truth of the bodily resurrection. And then he gets into chapter 16, and it's like he says, oh, and speaking of money... Uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a quick change of subject, but he's now addressing something else that they apparently asked about. And they asked about a special collection that he was uh, encouraging saints to give toward, which will explain what that was all about in the passage. But what we want to see as we think about what God says to us in these verses, as well as several verses that we'll read this morning, is that it's really about our heart before the Lord. The Lord wants us to have a heart of generosity, a heart of consistency, a heart of integrity, as we'll see in this, these few verses here. Let's read the passage together. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 through 4. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gifts to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now, as Paul says this, he, he will go on from here and he'll talk about certain opportunities that were afforded to him and how he wanted to travel. He wanted to get to Rome. He wanted to see Spain, he says in other places. Um, he, there are certain uh, things he wanted to do, places he wanted to go. Uh, and he talks a lot about people in this final chapter. And you'll see him mention a lot of brothers and sisters in the Lord and things that he uh, had, how he had been blessed by them and some things going on. And so some have kind of called this whole chapter one about stewardship because it teaches the Christian about stewardship of finances, stewardship of opportunities, and stewardship even for the church of its people. Like how, you know, don't burn people out, don't wear them out, <laughs> encourage people, you know. There's a lot of things in this chapter that speak to different areas of stewardship. But we'll just focus on these four verses this morning. So first of all, Paul talks about this uh, collection for the saints. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, and now concerning is telling you he's going on to a new subject. He uses that through this book. You'll, you go through 1 Corinthians several times, you see him use this phrase, now concerning, and he'll address the issue. Apparently the Corinthians had questions about uh, certain things, truths, uh, and this issue about the collection for the saints. And again, what we want to pull out of this, these, well, the first verse is basically how God just desires to create in us a heart of generosity. And the first thing we want to talk about under that is that believers are to be sensitive to needs. Believers are to be sensitive to needs. And right away we could comment that, you know, you can't really be sensitive to the needs if you're only focused on yourself, can you? You're only worried about yourself. And that's the whole thing of Christianity in this daily life. God is shifting our focus from being on self to him, which puts our focus, therefore, on others. And that's really the whole dynamic of God's work in our life today is 
forming Christ in us. So we're not about self. We're about what he has for us. And this is an aspect of that. Now, the group of saints that Paul's talking about were those people in Jerusalem who had been reached during mainly the earthly life of Christ, and some came after, who were all awaiting this, re- this promised return of Jesus Christ and the beginning of his kingdom on the earth. And it's a group of people that we often refer to as kingdom saints. They were looking forward to Jesus' kingdom. That's what, they had been, uh, what had been preached to them and offered to them. And I'm going to show you a series of verses up on the screen today. We're going to have a lot of verses today, and I've got, I think, all of them on the screen for your benefit. Uh, For those watching, I don't think you're going to be able to see them. But here, uh, first of all, let's read Acts chapter 4, 34 through 35. And there it be. Um, And here we see an idea of what was happening with this particular group of saints earlier, before they had this need that Paul's raising funds for. Acts 4, 34-35 say, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. So we're trying to get to the point of, why did these people need some help? What happened? What happened to these believers in Jerusalem that now Paul's like going around across continents, basically, across countries, and saying, they need our help. They need our help. Are you willing to give to help these people in Jerusalem? And one of the reasons that they needed help was, earlier, they had, a lot of them had done this. They had sold all that they had. And they had all things in common, this group of saints that were living in Jerusalem. You, you pick up with them in Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4. And this is one of the things the Lord had taught those followers to do, and at least gave them that opportunity, and apparently they were all in waiting for the kingdom. And what we know from Scripture is that kingdom didn't come. Jesus postponed that time and instead reached out to the whole world under grace. And so if you sold all that you had and then you were part of this group, and if those monies dwindle over time, now what? Now, so that's a, one factor as to why these people needed help. We're going to talk about, um, I think, three factors here why these people needed maybe needed some aid. Well, one was they had all things common, and that maybe wasn't going as well as it used to be going. That's one factor. A lot of people had went all in, and then what? Because the kingdom didn't come. We understand that God stopped offering the kingdom around the time of Acts chapter 7, and a great persecution arose against those believers there in Jerusalem, led by none other than Paul himself, you know, who was called Saul. It's kind of ironic, the people that he probably caused to go into bankruptcy, he's the, he's, they're the ones he's trying to help now get some money back in their pockets to help them. You know, it's kind of interesting. God switched it. Well, he led this persecution, and we read about that in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Gives us an insight into what was happening. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They were all scattered. Only the, only the, the 12 apostles stayed there. Everybody else had to get out of town because it was getting so bad. Now, remember, a lot of these people had went all in, and now they had to leave town. How were they funding their travels? How were they making do, right? There's some serious financial hardships probably in all this. It means greater expenses, less sharing. So this could have greatly dwindled the available funds they had and part of what sent maybe this group into this financial need. 
And the third aspect of why they needed help was probably because of famine that had come through the land. We read about famine in that area in Acts chapter 11, 28 through 30. It says there, Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So there was this like worldwide famine, and that would have put greater uh, hardship upon the saints who had been scattered from Jerusalem, and now some had apparently come back by this time. The church was still functioning there. But, I mean, they had been in some ups and downs, right? And now, you know, famine, and you see in Acts 11... Um, this was the church in Antioch, which was north of Israel, and they actually sent funds at that time by the hands of Barnabas and Saul, otherwise known as Paul. And so from that point on, it seems like Paul was, was trying to help these brothers and sisters in Jerusalem to, because of their, their provisions had been hit so hard by the circumstances that had come in. All that to say, there was a great need. There was some brethren who loved the Lord that were really on hard times. And we know Paul loved his kinsmen. Paul loved his, his fellow Jewish people, and he wanted to help them. And he began this, a part of his ministry was to encourage Gentiles, will you help, will you help these people in need? And he actually even tells the Gentiles in some places, like, some of our spiritual blessing actually comes through that people. I mean, Christ came through Israel. You know, it, like, it's like, if it wasn't for Israel, it wouldn't be Christ, and you wouldn't know Christ, and you wouldn't be blessed. So he's like, well, you in turn help those who, who have come before, you might say. So again, the whole idea is sensitivity to needs. What's the need? How can I bless somebody in need? These saints were in need, and it comes up in Paul's writings. Earlier we read Romans 15. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, maybe a couple times. But anyway, that's another passage where it talks about this special collection. But again, people were in need. And, and all that to say, you know, what do we do when we hear about needs? How do we respond? See, Paul wanted to see it in the churches that he planted in their relationship with the Lord. He wanted to help them develop a giving heart. Like, there's others out there that, that could be blessed through your very hands. And that's the work of God, to bless others. So believers are called to be sensitive to needs. Believers are also called to support ministry. Another way uh, we could talk about this uh, idea here. Believers are called to support ministry. When we read 1 Corinthians, we're peering into the time around 54 AD. Again, Paul... Paul is traveling. He's now on his third apostolic journey. If you read through the book of Acts, this is his third apostolic journey. And he spent time in Corinth, and we're pretty sure he was in the city of Ephesus, writing back to them later. And again, he's asking the members of the body of Christ to help support these poor brethren in Jerusalem. People were in need. Believers could help. And he's looking for that heart of generosity that God creates in the believer. And we understand that it's, it's when our hearts are directed toward the Lord because of his grace 
we in turn, again, direct our hearts to others. And we have that desire to bless others that God puts within us. Let me read some other, let me read another verse to you. 2 Corinthians 8, 5 describes such believers in whom God has created a heart of generosity. It says there, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and them to us by the will of God. Again, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. That's the heart God's seeking to create in all of us. Not one, listen here, you know, this isn't, we don't, we don't come up here and shake the offering plate because I don't, we just don't believe that's going to motivate you to give the proper way. What we try to do is show you how big God is and let him work in your heart and then you do with what God's given you as he leads you. That's, that's the grace giving, okay, that we're about here. But this is what giving is all about. You give yourself to the Lord. That's giving, first and foremost. Right? I don't want you to put anything in that box back there unless this is true of you first. <laughs> okay? Will you, will you promise me that you won't give unless you're giving because you think God's leading you? <laughs> How about that? How about that for a pledge this morning? Because I want it to be God's work in your heart, not ever obligation or you think you need to do this to be a good Christian. No, God's already made you loved and accepted in him. So what, what is that doing to your heart? How do you want to bless? How do you want to help? How do you want to help ministry and needs and so forth? They gave themselves. That's true giving right there. That's the heart of generosity. Because you're going to see everybody wants to make a big deal out of money, but this goes far beyond money. It's your whole life. Romans talks about being a living sacrifice. That's all that you are and all that you have. Right back to the Lord. That's, that's the Christian life. It's that radical. It's all for him. We give ourselves to the Lord. That's what it's about. One who gives his heart to the Lord himself becomes like God, which means he becomes a giver. Again, Paul is sharing the need with the churches of Israel of what was going on in Jerusalem. He does that in several places. Again, we read Romans 15, 27 through 33 earlier. He, taught, he talked about it to the Romans. He talks about it here in 1 Corinthians 16. And actually in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, chapters 8 and 9, he talks about it. What, what's interesting is usually when Paul talks about financial giving... He's usually talking about giving to the people in Jerusalem. Almost all the passages we turn to, he actually has a specific need in mind. But we, we kind of understand principles out of that that help govern how we, how we handle money and how we handle our whole lives. But one of the things interesting, as we've commented, of how Israel, people in Israel were in need, and so Paul's appealing to the members of the body of Christ spread out through the Gentile world to help is that for millennia, God had used Israel as his channel of blessing to the world. And now he's using the church, the body of Christ, as his channel of blessing to the world. Because we're here to be ambassadors of Christ, share the gospel with people. We're passing on God's spiritual blessings. <clears throat> and that kind of gives us a picture, though, that something had changed. God had moved away from Israel and was now using his church uh, as, his, as his people on the earth. And this, even this whole aspect of giving, this need, kind of reflects that change. That he was moving apart from Israel, moving toward the body of Christ as his people for today. But again, they were sensitive to need. They wanted to help provide for ministry 
to those people and through those people in their own church, which was talked about earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. They wanted to be about what God was being about. They gave themselves to the Lord, and then they were sensitive to the needs, and they, they responded accordingly as the grace of God worked in their hearts. Now, there's all kinds of ministry that goes on. There's church ministry. There's literature ministry. There's missions ministry. There's all kinds of things. And really, the Lord kind of puts all of those in front of us to some degree. Um, And we'll kind of maybe speak to that as we keep going through this passage. But there's so many things that the Lord might lead you toward. And it's really just about being sensitive to him. We do know, and we could. this is kind of a practical thing, but if believers don't give to what God's doing in the world today, nobody else will, will they? <laughs> it's just the practical nature of it, right? God's looking, God puts this on our heart because it's part of our ministry to help when we can help. Daniel Lyoy writes, Marquis de Lafayette was a French officer who provided invaluable assistance to George Washington and the struggling American army. After the war was over, he returned to France and resumed his life as a farmer of many estates. In 1783, the harvest was a terrible one, and there were many who suffered as a result. Lafayette's farms were unaffected by the devastating crop failures. One of his workers offered what seemed to be good advice to Lafayette. The bad, harfe- excuse me, the bad harvest has raised the price of wheat. This is the time to sell. After thinking about the hungry peasants in the surrounding villages, Lafayette disagreed and said, No, this is the time to give. God blesses us not just for our own benefit, but also so that we can be a blessing to others in need. The tendency to hoard and try to build up more and more is a dangerous one. And the best antidote to greed is to be a generous giver. There's certainly no shortage of people in need today. And while we cannot meet every need, if we do what we can, God will multiply resources so that it is enough. And that ends the quote there. But but again, we understand that, right? God blesses us so we can bless others. That's, That's the heart. That's the heart. Because it's already all his, right? But God, again, he wants to create in us this heart of generosity. Um, And that's what we see here. One of the applications is coming out to us here. There's people in need. Will you be willing to help them? We move on to verse 2. And he says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now, basically... He's, he's giving them advice here as to how they would to manage these funds, take them. So when he came, there wouldn't be all these special offerings. They would have already been given to this, and it's like it's ready to go, and we can send it out, and it's going to go to Jerusalem. And we'll see how it goes in the next couple of verses. But what we want to pull out of this is, is the idea of a heart of consistency. A heart of consistency. You know, the, the, the Christian life isn't just... Responding to a crisis here or there and having a, a, you know, like a isolated victory here and there sprinkled throughout life. Like, you know, God tell, called, called me to be a generous giver and I, and I gave one time. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right? He wants to continue to create in you that heart and continue to 
use you and bless you to bless others in a consistent manner, in a continual manner, right? That's, he doesn't, it's not just a one and done or I did it once and, well, I did it a few times. It's like, no, he wants to create a heart of consistency. And that verse, this verse speaks to that. And we're going to lift uh, three principles from verse 2 here. And the first one is the Lord teaches us to give regularly. He teaches us to give regularly, as we're just kind of describing. It's God doesn't just give us one opportunity. He, can, he puts continual opportunity to be a blessing. And, he, and, and just as he continually gives to us in our daily life, he uses us to give unto others of our time, of our finances, but of ourselves. We notice here that it was on the first day of the week that they were to lay something aside, storing up as they may prosper. So first of all, let's just comment that the first day of the week, that was Sunday. It's the same day we would, you know, we're enjoying today in that time and culture. That was the first day. Sunday's the first day, basically. And it was the tradition of the believers to come together on the first day of the week to glorify the Lord, to worship, and obviously they, they, they gave as, as necessary, as needed. They gave on that day. It's the time they came together. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, speaks of the believers at Troas, where we first read about this kind of a traditional time of set aside to the Lord. That verse says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. And it's just that we continue this tradition, really. And it's really, that's all it is, is a tradition. It's not commanded. It's never commanded in the scripture. Some people connect it to the day of resurrection. The Lord rose on the first day of the week, which would have been a Sunday. And some think that's very much what motivated Christians to say, like, like they were almost like weekly celebrating the Lord's resurrection. That makes sense to me. You know, <laughs> like, why wouldn't you, right? And it is kind of like a weekly anniversary when the Lord came out of the tomb. But it became the, it was what was probably available and what they were able to do, and it be, kind of became apparently sort of what most Christians did. And the other nice thing about that for the people at that time, especially when a lot of the churches also had some, some Jewish consistency or con- constituents, they had some Jewish believers, the Jews could still go to synagogue because they did that on Saturday, which was the Sabbath. That was the Jewish Sabbath, which actually was the, the, the seventh day, which is Saturday. So if you were a believing Jew at the time, you could go to the synagogue and try to reach out to your brethren, but you could still get together with the saints the next day. You know, it makes sense, right? You can kind of keep opportunities open there. And that's, you know, Paul, a lot of times when he went into a place, he'd go to a synagogue and try to reach out to the Jewish people. Hey, you know scriptures. You know about the Messiah. I'm here to tell you he came, and he died for you, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And he would offer them salvation through Christ. But then they could have a time when the believers could come together the next day. And that seems to be kind of what helped to kind of shape why even today we come together on Sundays, just generally speaking. And largely our culture had adjusted to that, not as much these days as it used to, where there's more hindrances. Um, not that I judge people, at least not publicly, no. But... Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, it's you, you know, I, a pet peeve of mine is all the things people do on Sundays that, that take away from trying to be at church, you know, and like people are getting together like, hey, come over at 11 a.m. on Sunday. It's like, 
ah, I'm going to church. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not, I want to get together with the brethren. I need that in my life. And uh, there's a lot of things. You know, it's, it's a pet peeve. You know, I'm not going to hammer anybody over it. Um, I don't, I'm not saying that you're not spiritual if you're not in church every Sunday. But I think if you're, I think you want to be with the believers <laughs> when you're walking with the Lord. I think you want to be an encouragement, want to be a blessing, and you want to be with the saints. And anyhow, but that's, it's a tradition, the Sunday thing. It's a tradition. It's not, it's not a formula that God gave us, but it does seem to work best even today for us, even how our work week functions and everything. But anyway, they're getting together on Sunday. But so every Sunday, they would come together, and he says, hey, if you want to give to the saints in Jerusalem, bring your money on Sunday, you know, we'll, we'll put it here, you know, maybe somebody was serving as, serving as the, the treasurer, maybe they had a Justin that did the treasure. no, <laughs> maybe they had a Justin Becker-like like person that, that took care of the money and finances and counted it and so forth and knew what they had and what they could send to the saints in Jerusalem, but they gave regularly, and that's just, I think this is just an, this is just something that's wise, because if God gives you the heart of generosity, God puts in you, by his grace, to give. And then it's kind of a decision you make. It's like, you know what, what works best for me is, I want to give so much this week. Or maybe, maybe for you it's like, I want to give every couple weeks. That's how I'm going to kind of, you know, that's what I'm going to adopt as my application for giving. Or maybe you say, I'm going to once a month, you know, that's going to be kind of my, how I help build this into my life. Right? How do we build this into our life? And what's the wisdom there? And so regular giving seems to be something God says to us. is like, this, this helps you kind of stay in that mode of wanting to bless. You know? And not... Because I'll tell you what even happens to me. is Sometimes you, you look over like, oh wow, I didn't... I, I forgot about this for a while. I've forgotten. You know, I just... I want to give. But if it's not like built in, you forget. Right? You just forget about things. And so... Um, Maybe you want to put on your phone right now that you want to give to Falls Bible Church every week. I'm not saying you should, but I'm also not saying you shouldn't. No, I'm just kidding, guys. I'm trying to bring a little humor here, okay? I'm just being silly up here a little bit. But again, regular giving is the application of this heart of generosity because then it becomes a heart of consistency. I don't want to bless just once and then check that off my list. I want to be a continual blessing to my, my, my church, the, the people's needs around me. I, I want to be that person. So the Lord teaches us to give regularly. The Lord also teaches us to give personally. He talked about how each one was to lay something aside. Each one. And so what this is about is really like how, how God guides each one. He leads each of us. And what each one gives is not going to necessarily be exactly the same. That's not what he's calling us to. He's going to call each one to us to give as he prospers, as he makes us able, as he leads us. That's coming up here in just a second. But he does call, he calls upon each one to think, what can I give? 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Great verse, getting back to what's going on in the heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, So let each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, it's what's going on in the heart, and what is God leading you to do? That's what this passage says. We don't want giving to be grudgingly or of necessity. It's not going to be uh, passing around the offering plate till we get the quota. I've seen that. 
we're not doing it here. <laughs> we're not doing that here. I've seen that in places. It's not going to be of necessity. I'm not going to tell you that you're supposed to give so much every week or whatever. That's between you and the Lord. Giving's always between you and the Lord. But the Lord does say, but between you and him, what do you want to do for me? It's not about what the brother next to you is doing. It's what are you, what are, what, where are we at? The Lord says to us, where are we at? Where's your heart with me? How can I bless through you? And you know what happens when, when, when each one gives, then it doesn't rely on one person burdened to carry all the load. That, that's body life. God never calls any of us to bear burdens alone, financially or, or, or otherwise. It's always about a sharing. It's always about a commonality. It's always about our community as a body of believers. And as each one gives, as God purposes in their heart, the Lord works it out. And guess what happens? Guess what we see? Needs are met. New furnaces are installed and working this morning, right? Because it wasn't just on one person has to do it or one person alone. You've got you to get all this money raised. It's all on you. Producer, get out. <laughs> That's what some pastors here, by the way. That's a sad, a sad, tragic version of what God talks about giving in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 8, 13 through 14 speaks to this. Paul says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. That there may be equality. And what he's talking about there is giving everyone an opportunity to bless. Giving everyone an opportunity. And there is some wisdom in making needs known so people can know, like, oh, I really want to help that person. I, I had something come across my desk earlier in the week. Uh, some people I know going onto the mission field. And the Lord, you know, that kind of struck my heart. And I gave something. I wanted to give to them. I wanted to help them along, you know. So I, so I responded to that. So I think there is something in, in letting things be known. But then it's up to the Lord to work. And what he's talking about in the passage we just read in 2 Corinthians 8, 13 through 14, is again this need of the saints in Jerusalem. And Paul was letting all the churches know, hey, you can help and you can help. And then nobody has to carry it all by themselves. No one church is trying to take care of the saints in Jerusalem, but it's, it's the body at large ministering side by side in this. So he calls us to give personally, to decide between the Lord, what, do, what can I do for the Lord? How can I bless others if in a financial sense, but really in all the components of our life. And again, giving is not to be policed by the church. It rests between God and the individual alone, and it must be motivated by God, and it must be from the heart. Otherwise, your money's no good here. <laughs> I don't want it. Nobody here wants it. Another principle we'll pull out of this text, the Lord teaches us to give proportionately proportionately and we just want to speak to how he said each one lays something aside each one would store up as he prospered is this the idea of proportionate giving you know each one is blessed differently not everybody has the same amount to give not everybody's working with the same context of life circumstances wages you know and so, so we, we never want to be about judging somebody's numbers you know or trying to sit back and say i think you could squeeze out a little bit more you know i know what you, i know how much you make <laughs> I see what you're putting in, you know. That's, that's ungodly. Sorry to say. No, I'm not sorry to say. It's just not godly. <laughs> it's just obvious not everyone is as financially blessed as others. But each one can give something 
And that's what the Lord says to us. Giving's not bound to legalistic rules. Giving is about liberality of heart, manifesting in generous giving. And it's about how the Lord supplies. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11 really puts the focus on how God supplies. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. See, when, when Paul talks about giving, he's putting the focus back on God. He says, God's providing for you. God's taking care of you. He's going to su- supply the seed, what the seed produces, the bread. He's, he's working. He's blessing. He works in and through our lives. And he, and he does all that so we can, too, be liberal, that we can be a blessing, that we, we, we here's, here's the perspective. When you realize God's providing for you, you're not going to be hoarding everything that comes your way. Because you know you don't need to. You know you can hold everything with open hands. And so if somebody has some need, you're not, you're not always like having to do all the accounting and calculation. And, oh, well, you know, if I do that, then, then you know, you can just say, no, I can meet that need. I can give. Because you know your God is taking care of you. And that's how Paul, that's what he puts before us. God's taking care of you to free you to be a blessing. And as he does that, like Paul says in the passage we read, all thanksgiving goes back to God. It's always to his glory. He supplies to us, we glorify him. If we give to somebody else, it's for his glory. It's all back to him. It's all God working in and through his people, this beautiful thing he does through our hearts. And it all goes back to his glory. Well, let's move forward to verses 3 and 4, where I want to just talk about a heart of integrity, which he brings up here. Because the issue here is the money's coming in, and it's going to travel hundreds of miles back to Jerusalem in somebody's hand. And so there's, there was uh, Paul's building toward integrity. Like, how do, how do we show for all parties involved that the guys who are delivering the money didn't spend half of it on the way here, you know. Maybe they took a few nights in a nice hotel on the way down, no? <laughs> you know, or at the resort. Uh, anyway, no, so there's some accountability going on. There's integrity at work here. <clears throat> so we want to make the point here, giving is to be handled with accountability. Accountability. Now, the idea of people giving in that time and that culture, like a guy coming to you in your Gentile city and country and to say hey would you give to some other people in Jerusalem that would have been a suspicious thing we're used to that today because we got people asking us for money all over the place you know on the phone on TV you know wherever you go there's probably some way to give some money (laughs) thanks PayPal no (laughs) anyway I mean it's just everywhere we're used to that but they're not used to that they would go in their time in their culture they go to their pagan temple and that's where you give money Similar to how the Jews, they would go to their temple, and that's where they would give money, right, to the Lord. Well, the, the, the Gentiles did it to their idols. They would give to their idols. And so it's suspicious when a guy comes and says, you give me some money, I'll make sure it gets to somebody who needs it. You know, that's kind of like, we'd all kind of like, oh, yeah? <laughs> uh, how about a receipt? <laughs> how about a receipt or something? No. <clears throat> but, but it wasn't like they didn't trust Paul because they would have known him. But, you know, but... But it's nice to not just say, hey, just trust me. 
it's nice to have an accountability that goes beyond just your personal reputation to protect your own reputation in these kinds of things. And ministries and, and churches for a long time have been encouraged to be really transparent with money so that it doesn't look like you're trying to hide anything. And, and one of the ways we even try to do that here, I, mean, I don't know if you know about it, but every month there's always like a, a, a financial sheet out on the table if anyone's interested. And if, there's, and if you go and there's not one, all you've got to do is ask. We'll get you one. Nobody's hiding anything. But we're also not going to print 100 of them and leave them sit out there if nobody wants them. You know? so it's, but, but we try to be transparent about that kind of stuff, right? Where's it all going? What's going on with it? Because it's, it's, it's not, cause, cause not that we don't think you may not trust the treasurer or trust that, but it's just we're not counting on that. We're wanting to be transparent to, to, to show integrity because we're about integrity. And that's all, that, that really is a reflection of all the Christian life. That should characterize all the Christian life. So one of the things that Paul had in mind is, hey, every church, you pick some people, and, and, and they'll, take the, they'll take the funds to Jerusalem. They'll take it. And he says in verse 3, um, and if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. He says, and if I go with, I can go with them maybe, but even if I don't go, you, you can send people. And then it's not about, like, what's Paul doing? It's just, it's, you, you can pick your own people for a greater level of accountability and trust and so forth, a greater transparency and everything. And, and, and we actually know some of the names of the people who did go to Jerusalem to help deliver the money. It's actually written in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. We know some of the men that accompanied Paul, probably for this very reason, because they were a team of people from different representative churches that were taking funds to help these saints in need. Acts 20, verse 4 lists them. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians. And Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. And that, what that shows us is a couple things. Several groups helped because you read about Berea, you read about Asia, you read about Derby, which we understand to be part of the Galatian region. And, and you just see like different churches in different places all, all work together to help the saints in Jerusalem. In Romans 16, 26, I'll, I'll read it since I have it in the slides here. It's another one. It shows you some people that helped. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So there's where Macedonia and Achaia are listed, which we know those regions as modern-day Greece. And we just read about guys like Aristarchus and Secundus who were from Thessalonica, which was in uh, Macedonia. So, like, we're reading some of these people came from these regions. There were people who raised their hand and said, I'll go to Jerusalem, and I'll help deliver that. And I think hey, it's one thing to put the money in the plate, but to raise your hand and say, I'll travel hundreds of miles to see it's getting where it's going. Now you're reading about people who have given themselves first to the Lord. <laughs> because they see it's not just financial stewardship. It's my whole Christian life. It's under God's control. And he may have a role for me. He may have something for each of us to give of our time, our energy, and so forth. And that's giving. It goes beyond finances. It always does. But there was accountability. Paul wanted people to be involved besides just him for accountability. And that's important for integrity. And then the last thing, the last point we'll say here is we need to be characterized by dependability. Which we see demonstrated here in the context of this collection and how it was going to be delivered. There was going to be a level of dependability. Paul was going to keep his word. The churches that were going to help were going to keep their word. They were all going to work to be dependable in this. But you know, Paul, he was, he, he, 
Sometimes we think of these guys as like superheroes. You know, they're, they read about them and we think they're almost of like mythic proportions that they didn't struggle in their daily walk. They never had moments of fear or doubt. But Paul puts things in his epistles that tell us just the opposite. There were times when he felt, he felt the pressure. He, he, he didn't know how it was going to go. And he had to learn to trust the Lord in, in hard times and in, in doubtful times. And one example has to do with this collection. He wanted to see, he wanted to go and help it, but he wasn't sure how it was going to go over and what was going to happen to him. And I'm going to read a verse from Romans 15:31. We read it earlier in our scripture reading, but here again, we just want to zero in on, on Paul. You know, it wasn't easy for him just to do it. Romans 15:31, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. What's interesting, he talks about those who don't believe. Well, you expect trouble when you don't know the Lord, right? You expect trouble from people who don't know the Lord when you're, you're serving the Lord. That's kind of natural. But he also says, I hope that my service be acceptable to the saints in Jerusalem. And so he wasn't even sure if he came to Jerusalem and he had all these funds and these guys that they were even going to like really appreciate it. Isn't that something? He wasn't doing it because of how people were responding. He was doing it for the Lord. And that's how we're called to give. It's not, about the re- it's not about the results. It's not about, oh, if somebody thinks I give, they're going to like me more or whatever. I mean, fill in the blanks there. But it's never about external praise or anything like that. It's God working on our heart. <clears throat> but even though this trip was, could cost Paul, he kept his word. He still moved forward. These men that we read about just a little bit ago, some of these guys are Gentiles going to Jerusalem, and it's, it's heated times. You know, there, there's persecution and things. And lot, the unbelieving Jews can be pretty harsh toward those who are saying, hey, we're saved by grace alone today, and you don't need circumcision, and you don't need the law. That got them, got them riled up a lot of times in the book of Acts. And they're going into this, kind of like going into the hornet's nest, <laughs> and saying, like, hey, I want to come bless you. <laughs> Does somebody need a hug? <laughs> they're going into the hornet's nest. You know, but they're going because they first gave themselves to the Lord. And they said, I'm going to go, I'm going to do it. And then they, they kept their word. That's dependability. When you keep your word. See, that's, that's giving of yourself. When you're dependable, you're actually giving yourself to someone else. When you say, I'll be there at 3 o'clock and you're at 3 o'clock, you've given a gift of dependability to that person. You've given the gift of integrity, in a sense. We want to be dependable in giving, certainly, but we want to be dependable in all things. We want to keep our word, be on time, be someone people can count on. Again, that's a heart given to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Faithful is really another word of saying dependable, so you can be counted on. A steward, someone who's entrusted responsibility... You don't want to entrust responsibility to somebody that's not responsible, right, in any aspect of life. And so God says, we as believers, hey, be responsible, be dependable, be the people that people can count on. Because that's a great blessing. John Templeton tells this story. A friend once took a car to a mechanic who was able to find several things wrong with it in addition to the original problem. To fix it all would cost about $700. He went to a second mechanic who said that a lot of what the first mechanic was recommending was not really necessary, at least not right away. 
You ever been there? <laughs> second opinion. <clears throat> the second mechanic said he could have the car up and running for less than $200. And if the other problems occurred down the line, he would address them at that time. Not surprisingly, the friend chose car mechanic number two. This mechanic settled for under $200 when he probably could have gotten another three or $400 out of his customer. But his honesty and commitment to looking out for what was best for his client earned him a customer for life. What he lost on that first day, he more than made up for in the months and years to come. His dependability, his honesty, his integrity was rewarded because he showed himself to be a person of integrity. And God calls us to that too. Well, there's a story told of a woman who went to the store one day, did some grocery shopping, and came back out to the parking lot, went up to the vehicle, and as she was carrying her bags, she saw four men in the car. She kind of got panicked. She got scared. She dropped her groceries, and she was a concealed carry person. She pulled out a handgun, and she yelled at the men in the car, get out of the car, and they all took off running out. They, they went on. They ran out of the parking lot. Well, she, she leaned on the car a few minutes, got her heartbeat down, got her breath, got calmed down, put her gun back in her purse, opened up the back seat, put in the groceries, went up, got in the front seat, took her key out, put it in the ignition, and she couldn't get the key in the ignition. It wouldn't fit. And she tried that for a little bit and then realized, this isn't my car. And she looked down a few paces and she saw a car. This car looked just like hers. No, there was her car just a few away. So she went, loaded up her groceries, went right down to the police station, (laughs) went into the police station to turn herself in and tell the sergeant on duty that she had done this to some guys and probably scared the daylights out of them. And she went in and told the cop and he just started laughing at her and pointed at the other end of the counter where there were four guys filing a report that they'd been carjacked by a... A little, an old woman with thick glasses that wasn't even five foot tall, <laughs> carrying a large handgun. <clears throat> no charges were filed. You see, she thought it was her car, but it really belonged to someone else. And we think our lives and our finances are our own, but really they belong to God. God wants each of us to possess the heart of giving So each one of us can experience the greater blessing of giving, which showcases his love for others. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word and the truth that you always speak to us and how it transforms us when we believe it. And Father, may these things speak to our hearts today, Father. I know it speaks to me, Lord. And just going to you to to know how can I continue to be a blessing, Lord? How can I continue to be a blessing and let your grace lead me? We just thank you for opportunities you give us, Lord, whether it's to give or to serve, to minister, to give of our time, just to spend time with people, to give of our talents. Whatever it is, Lord, it's all for you. And may each of us continue to live as living sacrifices surrendered to you and your working in our hearts. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.